5, uh, we turn to this morning, Daniel 5, what is it, page 740-something in your Bible. Um, at any rate, we pick up where we left off last time in the text, but uh, not so much in the history. Between chapters 4 and 5, there is, without any explanation, without any indication of the date, a huge jump from where we were last time to where we are this morning, from Nebuchadnezzar's reign over a newly founded Babylonian empire, all the way this morning we jump to the end of the Babylonian empire. We met Daniel Uh, Eight weeks ago, if you can believe that, in chapter 1, as a youth taken with his companions from Jerusalem into exile to Babylon under the first emperor of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. In the text today, Daniel is an old man, summoned by Babylon's last emperor, or rather the son of the last emperor. King Belshazzar's name is not known anywhere in the ancient king lists of the Neo-Babylonian period. Nabonidus, his father, was the king, but he was off campaigning in Arabia for as many as ten years and had left his son Belshazzar in charge as regent or king in his place. Now, as long as I'm talking to you about Belshazzar, let me inform you before we get into the text that uh, he will be called, in our text, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, he wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's son in the direct sense of that word. He was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a mistake on the part of the writer of Daniel, as the critics of Scripture are wont to point out. The terms father and son are used in the Old Testament figuratively, and that's certainly the case here. Uh, He may likely have been Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, but uh, that's as far as we need really to pursue the matter for this morning's purposes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we open your word again and realize anew our need of your Spirit's help. Send him, we pray, to do a great work in us now. Let us hear your voice, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 5, we'll be reading all 31 verses. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, In Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. 
Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I've heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, 
and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house you have been, uh, have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, You have not honored. And from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed. Meanie, meanie, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meanie, God has numbered the days of your kingdom And brought it to an end. Tackle. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. If Nebuchadnezzar lived for seven years like an animal, Belshazzar was the quintessential party animal. He knew how to throw a feast in a big way. And he knew how to do so with abandon and defiance. For two years, the Medo-Persian armies had surrounded Babylon, sieging the city. Do you think Belshazzar cared? He was the classic, careless son of a father who had put in his son's charge matters uh, important while he was away. Why should it bother him? If the enemies surround the city, the walls, as we learned last time, were thick and high. The city was big enough to grow what it needed to eat right within its city walls without anybody having to go through a city gate. 
Even the Euphrates flowed through that city, supplying them with a constant flow of fresh water. To use the modern vernacular, his theme was, don't worry, be happy. Or maybe better yet, party on. And to the armies of the gates, he was as much as saying by throwing this party, who cares? You can't touch me. This particular feast was a lavish affair, of course, an outwardly glorious and opulent party. Just imagine a thousand nobles decked out in their pompous best, gathered to drink wine with the king. The finest palace silverware and candelabra adorning the tables in the palace. But this is all we ever get. This is all we ever get of Belshazzar, isn't it, in the Bible? This chapter, this party, no great conquering feats like Nebuchadnezzar, no adventurous plundering, no statues, no building projects, just partying. Reminds me, a little bit of the sons of a man who was a customer of my father's. You know that my father was a policeman during my childhood, but to pay the bills while raising six children and putting us all through Christian school, he also had a landscape business that occupied him when he was not in the squad car. One of his accounts, and over time it became his sole account, a classic business error, by the way, and he would tell you as much. The sole account was a wealthy business owner, the owner of a steel company who worked long, hard hours. He was a dedicated man in that sense, dedicated to his own company and to his success. I worked alongside some of my father's employees, uh, planting flowers, raking leaves, mowing lawns on that uh, gorgeous and plush uh, acreage that uh, belonged to that man where his mansion stood, impressive as it was. But the man had two sons who were just a little older than I. They were denied nothing. They had all the toys and all the guns and the clothes and later the cars that they could possibly desire. And they were lazy and indolent. They were drinkers and partiers. They were in constant trouble with the law and they couldn't care less. The money was always there to bail them out or so it seemed. And boy, could they throw a party. I didn't get invited to any of those parties. But to oh, the messes those parties left behind in that beautiful place. This party of Belshazzar's turned into a real mess, too. Belshazzar decided to pull out all the stops get the gold and silver vessels that Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the house of God, the temple in Jerusalem, and profaned them by serving up drinks to the lords and ladies, to his wives and concubines. 
Things, things went downhill fast from there, of course, when they made toasts and drank to the glory and worship of the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, of wood and stone. Didn't Belshazzar know the history? Didn't he know about these goblets? Well, of course he did. He was well aware of whence they had come. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar had taken them from Yahweh's uh, temple. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar's humbling. His time as an animal before he was converted to. Daniel reminds him, you knew all of this, Belshazzar. And it wouldn't be surprising at all to find out that Nebuchadnezzar, after having come to the realization that Yahweh, Daniel's God, is the God of heaven and earth, that he took those vessels and put them in a very special and distinct place, since they belonged, as Nebuchadnezzar came to understand, to the Most High God. Belshazzar knew full well what he was doing, when he called for these and had his concubines put their lips to those cups in that drunken orgy. This was a poke in the eye of God. This was high-handed defiance. And in response to that high-handed defiance, another hand appears. The disembodied Fingers of a hand that is to write on the wall these few words Meany, Meany, Tekel, and Parson. Now you may remember that last one from your childhood as you Farson, but that is simply the U of the Hebrew left untranslated in the King James Version. It is and, so and Parson, you Farson. It was a message, of course, from God to Belshazzar to say that his days were numbered, that he'd been weighed and found wanting, that his kingdom was about to be given over to another kingdom, to the Medes and Persians. Now, at this point, it is not what Belshazzar does that is most telling. It is what Belshazzar does not do. Neither when the terrifying specter first appeared, nor when Daniel interpreted it for him. He did not repent. He did not repent. King Nebuchadnezzar, his father as he's called, had repented when God brought him Lo, but not Belshazzar. Not Belshazzar. He remained hardened in his sin, even as the color left his face and his knees knocked together. Fear, even terror of God, is not the same as repentance to God. Many, many people will bow a terrified knee to Christ one day on their way 
to hell. That very night, the words on the wall came true. The Medes and Persians invaded the city. You can read about it in your history books and found him, I assume, in his bed. Turns out, Belshazzar was feasting graveside, partying on the edge of his grave. And isn't that exactly what the world is doing today? Feasting, partying, playing about, playing on the edge of their graves. No one knows but that his life, her life, may be demanded this very night. But they party on, even knowing full well that they should repent from their sin and turn to God. Let's face it, there's hardly a single person in the United States of America today who has not heard the gospel message. They've heard it on the radio or on the television. They've heard it from their neighbors. Calls to repent or else perish. And what do they answer? What is their answer? Party on! Maybe a little more precisely to use Paul's words from his letter to the Romans. They suppress the truth. They turn a blind eye. Like Belshazzar, all fallen human beings have a real propensity to closing their eyes to reality, acting like everything is fine, it's all cool, and ever will be, regardless of the truth that bombards their senses and their consciences all day, every day. Quite a contrast to Belshazzar is Daniel standing here, offered a gold chain coveted purple robes, a spot as third in charge of the kingdom. A reminder to us, of course, that Belshazzar was not number one, but number two in the kingdom, that he'd offer Daniel the third spot. Daniel couldn't really care less, of course, for these things. You can keep your gold, keep your robe, you know, keep your promotion. Give them to someone else. I'm, I'm really not interested in them. I will interpret that for you, though. Now tell me the truth, brothers and sisters. Tell me the truth. Ask your question and ask your heart and answer truthfully. Would you not have been tempted? Were you in Daniel's place? Wouldn't the offer have been somewhat attractive to you? Gold, purple robe, power. Why was it not tempting to Daniel? Why was Daniel, in fact, not even disappointed to hear that there was a feast at the palace and that he hadn't been invited? Or at least that his invitation was but a desperate afterthought. Why were his feelings not hurt? Well, simply this. Christians know better. Christians know better, don't they? People in whom Jesus Christ lives by his Holy Spirit have a keen view 
with which they see right through the glitz and the glamour of all that is gold or not gold, all the pomp, all the cheap glory of the world. They see things Christians do for what they really are because they have eyes to see the worldly, the rebellious, the unbelievers are parting on the precipice of perdition. Which is not to say, of course, that we always act according to our knowledge, do we? Alas, we are all too often swept up into the world, aren't we? We're caught up into it. Let's just confess it. We like the beat of the world's drum. We're drawn into its, its materialistic mindset. We've too often been dazzled by the gold chain and the purple robe and the power. The idolatries that we see so easily in the world are all found right here in our own hearts. We get caught up in the world's feast. And when we do, my brothers and sisters, we lose sight of the real feast. God gives us wake-up calls from time to time, doesn't he? Thank him that he does. A bracing slap across the face from time to time, breaking the hypnotic trance of the temporary and the fleeting pleasures, real and tempting as they truly are in this present time. They are real. See, my brothers and sisters, it's, it's not as though we deny ourselves feasting altogether. Christianity is not some stoic refusal of all pleasure or joy or laughter or revelry. It is rather a refusal to settle. To settle for tin pan pleasure, for false and fleeting joy, for empty and hollow laughter in favor instead of real joy and genuine laughter and revelry of the most pure and highest and most phenomenal kind. We have a feast too. A feast to which you and I have been invited, not by some pure, petty, puerile king, but by the Most High God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of heaven and earth. He's invited you. There's an invitation with your name on it that he's issued to you, to this feast. It's called the Great Wedding Feast of the Lamb. And a great feast it will be. I mean greater than you and I and all of our imaginations together couldn't begin to conceive of. In attendance at that feast, at the end of time, instead of the shallow and superficial gathering of nobility such as Belshazzar had gathered about himself in the Babylonian palace pretentiously dressed, there will be gathered there the saints 
a multitude of them, in number beyond counting, as many as the sands of all the seashores of the world, of all the stars in the sky. We will be drinking there too, won't we? We there dressed not in our pompous robes, but in robes made clean, who have washed those robes in the blood of the Lamb. We'll drink there not the wine of Babylon, but the royal and rich wine of heaven. We'll fill our cups and overflow. And we will toast then not to our own achievements and not to the gods of gold and silver and wood and stone. By the way, even the streets of that place will be paved with gold. No, we will toast to and worship the Lamb who has bought us by his blood, shed his blood as a sacrifice on the cross where he poured it out like wine for us at that feast to which he will have brought us by his grace and only by his grace. The king of the palace will not be weighed and found wanting like Belshazzar. Nor will his days be numbered, nor his kingdom be on the very be on the very brink of disaster for another to receive in his place. Christ, King Jesus, will be weighed and found sufficient, more than sufficient, to satisfy the demands of God's holiness for those who come to him through faith, to secure for his guests the eternal weight of glory, of unending day, of your salvation and a kingdom that will never be shaken, that will never be taken from him by another. The banquet, that banquet will suffer no such interruptions as brought the silliness of Belshazzar's to a screeching halt, no fingers of disembodied hands suddenly appearing and writing on the walls. Instead, Nail-scarred hands lifted over us in unending blessing. You will not be tempted in the least to ask why you were invited to this banquet late. Indeed, you will wonder with awe over the fact that you were invited and found there yourself. At all. Friends, all of you in the hearing of my voice right now, you have a choice to make today and every day. It's a choice of feasts. Feast today or feast tomorrow. You may choose to feast today on the pleasures of sin for a time. You may toast the idols of sex or possessions or the praises of men 
you are entirely at liberty to make that choice. Surround yourself with the merriment of wicked people while you pursue your happiness wherever you think you can possibly find it, in money, in people, in houses or cars or nice clothes, in good looks, in drink, in drugs, in entertainment. Chase the American dream. It's yours for the taking. But for all that, understand this. You are feasting graveside. Your life may be demanded of you this very night, or this week, or next, or next year, or the year after that, whenever it is. The feasting will be over forever. Forever. Or you may look forward to another feast. A feast that will be for most, if not all of us here who are in Christ on the other side of our graves, after our death and resurrection from the dead, when Jesus comes again and raises his people up from their graves, a feast, I say, that will last forever. So let me ask you and Answer honestly again now. Where is your heart set? Where are your eyes fixed? On the table spread with the banquet that this world offers? The tawdry affair that when weighed on God's scales turns out to be nothing more than a bit of dust to be blown from the scale. There is no future in that feast, my friends. There is no future. There is only today. That's all you get. Jesus, on the other hand, invites you to a real banquet, a future feast that can only be entered into through faith in him and by his grace to you. And that banquet, that wedding feast of the Lamb, that glorious affair, will more than compensate. Trust me, I tell you in the name of God, it will more than compensate for all the feasts you walked by and turned your back on, that you refused to attend even at real pains to yourself in this life. Now, it's hard to wait, isn't it? It is hard to wait. It's hard to wait All December to open the presents under the tree, isn't it? It's hard to wait for pleasure deferred. It is hard. Even if that pleasure is infinitely greater pleasure than the finite pleasures that are offered you right now. We are more and more these days, aren't we? We are a people of instant gratification. When do we want it? We want it now. Well, God, being the gracious and loving Father that he is, he knows that about us. He knows that it's hard for us to wait to open our presents. And so he gives us a foretaste of the feast to come. Every week, 
in his house, the house of worship, he gives us a, a morsel to keep our hearts fixed on a feast to come. A little morsel to carry us past all of the feasts that are offered us all week long out here to pass those by in order to wait for the great wedding feast of the Lamb. Here it is, the Lord's Supper. We have a sampling here, just a sampling, mind you, of what is to come. Taste it, smell it, eat it, drink it, and have your heart freshly reminded again. There is a greater feast to come. It is the ultimate feast, the wedding banquet of the Lamb. And I tell you in God's name, it will be worth the wait. Amen.